If you've got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the message is simply entitled today, Fire and Wind. Fire and Wind. You know, Acts chapter 2 is actually the turning point in the New Testament. It's a turning point. In other words, it's one of those moments where all of a sudden things begin to shift and things begin to change. You say, well, in what way? Well, when we read Acts chapter 1, we saw that they were waiting on the Holy Spirit. But all of a sudden, Acts chapter 2, he showed up. They had been waiting. This was the promise that Jesus Christ had given to them. And all of a sudden, he showed up in a powerful and in a mighty way. In Acts chapter 1, they were equipped. They began to pray. And they were praying for the Holy Spirit to come down and to move in a mighty, mighty way. And so they were equipped. But in Acts chapter 2, they became empowered. They were infused with the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through them. In Acts chapter 1, they were held back. Jesus had told them to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 2, they were sent forth. They were called to go out and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ far and wide. And in Acts chapter 1, they watched as the Savior ascended. They watched him go up into the clouds. They saw their Lord and Savior who they saw crucified on a cross, but three days later rose again. And they had seen him many times in that 40-day period of time. And then all of a sudden, on that 40th day, he just went up into the clouds while they continued to look on. And the angel spoke to them and said, why are you looking up into the clouds? This same Jesus who you saw go up into the clouds is going to come back in like manner. But in Acts chapter 2, Acts 1, they saw the Savior ascend. In Acts 2, they saw the Spirit descend. He came down on them in such a powerful and mighty movement of God. And so we come to this turning point that God is getting ready to do something unbelievable. God is getting ready to do something that he's, as he starts this church that God is getting ready to move by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they would never see anything or never had seen anything like it. But the great thing is they would continue to see it throughout the church life. Well, let's look today at four discoveries about the first baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1 with just simply the setting. It says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They had already been with one accord and in one place according to the book of Acts chapter 1. They were in the upper room and they were praying. But they were praying and they were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ had promised to them numerous times before he was crucified. And even after he had risen from the dead, he told them the promise was coming. But what I love about this is it says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the word Pentecost comes from the Hebrew word Shavuot. It simply means the 50th day. 50 days after Passover was what God had promised to them. Now what's interesting is the day of Pentecost happened in two other ways. It was named in the Old Testament the Feast of Harvest. In fact, the day of Pentecost happened during the Feast of harvest. In the book of Exodus chapter 23 and verse 16, we see it reads this. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of gathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. It was also known as the feast of weeks in Exodus 34 verses 22 to 23. It says this, and you shall observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of gathering at the year's end. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God. God of Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it says that's when they would put in the sickle. It was the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Harvest, and Pentecost would be representative of those feasts. God was getting ready to put in the sickle in the church. He was getting ready to draw in. In fact, we see at the end of Peter's message, 3,000 
came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior after Peter preached. Have you ever been a part of something like that? Have you ever seen anything like that? I've, I've been to some events where, where we saw some things similar to that. But I've never seen 3,000 people get saved in a service before. He's the same God that we're worshiping today. He's the same God that can still do that today. He's the same God that is still gathering in people today. He's the same God that is still reaching the sheep that are not yet of his fold today. He is wanting to gather them in. They are a part of that harvest that he's talking about. But not only was it the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Harvest, it was also a time where they brought in the first fruits. In the book of Numbers chapter 28, And verse 26, we see this where it says this. Also on the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. And you might say, well, what is the the deal with the first fruits? That was when they gave God their best. You see, Pentecost is about giving God our best. I'm going to be honest with you. I think we lack in that today. I think we lack, and I I think a lot like Cain, we just bring God what we want to bring, and then we expect him to accept it. God is not in the accepting business. God is not going to be okay with weak worship. God is not going to be okay with simplicity of studying the word. He wants you to dig in deep. God wants so much more from us. He wants us to give him our best. I'm going to tell you, I remember my brother, when we were growing up, my brother, he loved basketball. I'm telling you, he loved basketball so much, he would go everywhere with a basketball. He would dribble it down the halls at school. You would see him in his bed with his basketball just practicing his shot over and over and over again. Why? Because he wanted to be the best basketball player he could be. If he could give that much to a game, putting a ball through a hoop, should we not give God our absolute best when it comes to worship and the study of his word? We should not give him any less. The first fruits were the best. And so when we come to God, we need to give him our absolute best. They also said that the day of Pentecost was a representation of when God gave the law to Moses. When the Holy Spirit came down on, that's when God showed grace to the church. See, I want you to understand today that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll show grace to those in the church, and you'll give God your absolute best, and you'll reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You understand that when the Spirit is moving, those three things will occur. Grace will be shown to those in the church. Can I explain to you? We are going to mess up. There is not a single perfect person in here. There's everybody in here is going to fall short. And when we fall short, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to lift one another up. We're not called to tell them everything they've done wrong. Our goal is to restore them and bring them back in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because grace has been shown to you. And with the grace that you show to others is the grace that shall be shown to you. With the mercy that you show to others, that's the mercy God will give to you. I think we've missed that. I think we've lost sight of that. Have we forgotten that God has forgiven us for everything that we've committed? Let those things go. And if that is true, then God wants to do it for the other people as well. When the Spirit is here, grace will flow. When the Spirit is here, we'll give him our absolute best. And when the Spirit is here, our desire will be to reach our community. Let me tell you something. Our community is growing very quick. It is booming like we've never seen before. And can I tell you something? Churches are not keeping up. And I use churches in the plural. 
We are not keeping up with the growth of our community. There are, there, if we were keeping up with the growth of our community, we need to build about five or six more churches. We need to be filling up what God has given to us. The thing is, is God is ready to move. God is bringing the people here. God is bringing the nations here for us to be a witness. Because we wouldn't go there. He's brought them here. We've got a job to do. And the truth of the matter is, is when we're filled with the Spirit, we want to win the loss with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's love is so great. I hope if you're sitting in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you see how much we love you. But I want you to know God loves you more than we do. God loves you so much he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. He was buried three days later. He rose again so that your sins might be forgiven. There's no greater message in all the world. There's no greater love in all the world than the love that God has displayed for you. And it was brought down in a mighty way on Pentecost. So we see the setting. Number two, I want you to see the sound. Look at me in verse 2 and then we'll also look at verse 6. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting verse 6 says and and when this sound occurred the multitude came together i want you to understand the multitude was drawn not by the speaking of tongues as we'll talk about in just a moment the multitude was drawn by the sound from heaven listen to what it says in verse 2 and suddenly there came a sound from heaven Can you imagine what that must have been like? Like a mighty rushing wind. I don't know if you've ever been in some of those storms where you hear the wind blow and you know what's coming. You you sit there and you start to wonder, okay, is it time? Do we need to get in our shelter? You've probably heard those winds before. These people weren't afraid to go get in a shelter when the wind blew because they knew it came from heaven. It didn't come from earth. It came from a heavenly foundation. And when that wind blew through there and it blew in such a mighty way and it made such a vast noise that the crowds that were all around in the city, they began to gather together. They didn't even know what they were going to. Can you imagine when the Holy Spirit shows up in such a way that when God is moving in the church in such a way that the Spirit just brings people in? They weren't even in here. God just brings them in. When the wind blows on them, it'll blow their car right into the parking lot. It'll blow them right into the church. It'll just bring them in there because they are drawn by the sound of the Holy Spirit. This wind is powerful. I want you to understand it's a representation of the Spirit of God. In fact, in the Hebrew and the Greek, it uses these words. It uses the word ruah and pneuma, which mean wind, spirit, and breath. Same word, wind, spirit, and breath. Now, isn't it interesting when you say those words, listen to it, ruah, it's a breathing sound. Pneuma, a breathing sound. And it represents the spirit of God that was coming down. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we see the very first time, we see that when God created man and he formed him out of the dust of the ground, it says that God breathed life into him. In other words, God gave a life-giving breath. That's what the Spirit does. He brings life. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, there was a valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel goes in, and God goes, I want you to prophesy to them. I want you to prophesy to them to get up. Now, could you imagine a valley of dry bones? It was a representation of the people of Israel. I'm here to tell you, I think today it would be a representation of the church. 
The church is dead. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, if you read Revelation 3 and verse 1, the church of Sardis was a dead church, and it needed to have life breathed into them. But in Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 9, when he tells, he tells Ezekiel, he says, prophesy to the bones to get up. Prophesy for breath to go into them. And immediately, those dry bones, they got up. Flesh was put on them. They could breathe, and they were alive again. God wants to ignite you with the wind and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, it will change you. You will be different. You will never be the same. The problem today we have is there are a lot of people that claim to be Christians, but they still look the same. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, you cannot be the same. There's a power that fills you like you've never seen before. In fact, in the Gospel of John chapter 3, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in verse 8, he says this, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it goes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Man, when God breathes life into you, you are changed. In the book of Genesis, there was a man who was talked about in Genesis 41. His name was Joseph. They said, have you ever seen the Spirit of God upon somebody like this guy? Let me tell you something. That's what they ought to say about us. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this? A man in whom is the Spirit of God. If people aren't saying that about you, what are you doing? This should be said of us. That we're so different that we've been so filled with the Holy Spirit that he transforms our lives and changes us. But not only did the wind give life, it also removed. It also removed things that didn't need to be in one's life. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 16, he says, You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. The winnow means what they would do with wheat. After they would harvest the wheat, they would beat it out. But the problem is, is there would be some chafe that would get in there with the wheat. And I don't know if you've ever had some chafe in your bread before. It's kind of like having eggshell in your eggs. It is not right. It doesn't belong there. And so what they would do is they would put it in this pan, and they would wait for the wind to blow, and they would toss the wheat up. And the wheat was so heavy, the wheat would fall right back down to the pan. But if the wind blew right, it would take the chafe, and it would blow it out of there. The wind would be the one to eradicate the chafe out of, their, out of the wheat. Now, here's the thing. God wants to eradicate the sin out of your life. God wants to breathe on you and blow the sinfulness out of your life. He wants to take whatever sin you're dealing with, whatever battle you're fighting, whatever is going on in your life, he wants to blow it out of your life. If you will stop trying to clean it up on your own, that's the biggest problem we have as Christians. We try to do it on our own. We can't do it. You can't do it. The truth is you got to turn it over to God and let him clean you up, and he will. He'll do a much better job than you can. Let him blow through your life and blow away the things that aren't needed within you. But when was also judgment in the Old Testament? In fact, God said, I'll scatter you to the four winds in the book of Jeremiah, the book of Ezekiel. I'll scatter you to the four winds. You say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, if you're filled with a spirit, let me tell you something that means God has given you new life, and he has removed the old things from you. Let me tell you something. One of the greatest problems we have as Christians is we keep going back to the old life. Like a dog that returns to its vomit, Peter says. Like a pig that wallows in the mud. God doesn't want us to return. He wants to take it away from us. And I'm here to tell you, when God takes it away, 
And the community begins to see the differences in your life. And they see that sin has been taken out of you. And they see that you're different. And you begin to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. They're going to want what you've got. They're going to want what you have. You see, God came in a mighty wind and it drew the people in. So we see the setting. We see the sound. Number three, we see the spirit. Look at me in verse three. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And the spirit gave them utterance. I want to focus on the fire. You realize that God came in fire numerous times in Scripture, right? I think about in Genesis chapter 15 when God was making a covenant with Abraham and he had cut the animals apart and they were going to make a covenant with one another and God made Abraham fall asleep and all of a sudden this smoking oven and burning torch go through it. That was God. I also think about when God showed up to Moses in sight of a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2. Do you remember that? In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is just walking out there and all of a sudden he sees a burning bush and he turns his way over to the burning bush and God speaks to him from it and says, take your shoes off for where you stand is holy ground. God showed up in a mighty way in the midst of the fire. God is also called a consuming fire in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Hebrews, he's a consuming fire. In other words, that fire will penetrate. It will burn up the things that are not needed within our lives. God comes as a consuming fire. We also see that he led the people of Israel in a pillar of fire by night. Isn't that awesome? When you think about God bringing them out of Egypt and taking them into the promised land, here's this pillar of fire that as it moves, they move. When it stops, they stop. God just directs directs them, guides them, leads them. What a blessing that must have been. But God also descended in fire on the mountain. When Moses went up to the mountain in Exodus chapter 19, God descended on the mountain in fire. He did it in 2 Chronicles 7 when Solomon dedicated the temple to God. Could you imagine if God came down in fire on this church today? Would you be afraid? Would you be scared? Would you be nervous? Would you be afraid he'd just burn you up and not burn out the bad? You see, the Bible declares that God comes in fire. In fact, in the book of Daniel, it said the lower half of his body was fire. And in Revelation 19, says this, uh, Revelation 10 says the same thing. But it also tells us that he has eyes, a flame, a fire. He can penetrate and gaze into the truth of who we are. You see, you can't lie to God. He's going to see it. You see, God used fire as judgment as well. He rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sins. He also rained down fire on Egypt because they wouldn't let his people go. In the book of Revelation, he's going to rain down fire again in this world as punishment for what they did. God is going to rain down fire. And then eventually, he's going to sentence those that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to an eternal fire. God can judge with fire. But you say, what does it have to do with us today? What does this have to do with us if God, if the Holy Spirit came down in fire? I want you to understand four things about that. Number one, it's meant to enlighten us. The Holy Spirit's fire is meant to enlighten us. Revelation 2.18 tells us this with these flaming, fiery eyes. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. You know what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you? The Bible tells us in John 16 that he brings conviction. Now, I'm going to be honest. There are a lot of people that sometimes when I preach, they don't like what I preach. And they blame me for what I say. I'm not, I'm just simply the messenger. That's all I am. 
Don't blame me for the conviction that God brings upon your heart that you refuse to listen to. The truth of the matter is, is the Holy Spirit will convict you. I'm telling you, I, I've been there where I'm just sitting there holding on and gripping with all my life because I don't want to make the changes in my life because when the Holy Spirit comes in, he does want to change. He doesn't want us to be dead. He wants us to be enlightened. And if you're, if you're not a Christian today, I'm telling you, he wants to enlighten you and open your eyes to your need for the Savior because you cannot do it on your own. You can't save yourself. You can't change your life. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. It is by his grace and his grace alone. But the Spirit comes to enlighten us. He also comes to test us. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, it says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. You know why God tests you? You know why God allows you to go through tests? It's to refine you. And that's the third thing. It's meant to refine us. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like launder's soap. I love that. Because the launder's soap kind of makes a little bit more sense to us, doesn't it? When we think of fire, we don't think about having to burn off the plates. We don't think about having to burn off the drawers. We don't think about gold being melted down so they can scoop out the drawers so that it becomes more pure. But a launderer's soap, we understand that because we know that it cleans up and it gets rid of the smell and it takes rid of, and gets rid of the stains. And that's what God wants to do in your life is whatever you've stained your life with, he's the best Clorox you'll ever use. He'll take it away. He'll wipe it away. He'll forgive it. He'll cleanse it. And I promise you, you'll smell better than Clorox you see God wants to refine you he wants to change you I love the old hymn just as I am but I promise you he doesn't want to leave you that way God will accept you just as you are but he will change you afterwards we need to be refined would anybody disagree with that I still need to be refined. I want God to keep putting me through the fire so he can take away the things in my life that don't need to be there. But not only that, it was meant to empower. It was meant to empower. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. fire can produce power can it and the fire of the holy spirit god wants to empower you we talked about it with acts 1 8 already when the power of the holy spirit has come upon you you see when we're charged up with the power of the holy spirit and he infills us and he uses us i promise you we will change this community and not only will we see a change in this community we'll begin to see a change in our state and then a change in our country. I don't know how many of you desire it like I do, but I want to see revival. I want to see revival. I want to see God show up in such a way like he did back then that lives are changed, that we're never the same. That God, and here's the truth of the matter, he can still do it. He can still do it, and he wants to. I want you to understand, if you're filled with the Spirit, You've been enlightened to follow Jesus. You've been refined and purged of your sin, and you're empowered to do his work. Can I tell you something today? If you're holding on to some sin, don't hold on to it any longer. 
I'm going to tell you, sin has a weight that you can't carry. It will keep you longer than you want to. And it will give you promises that it can't keep. Sin will hold you down. It will bury you. It will destroy you. Because the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I promise you, he'll promise you good things. But there's never good things when it comes to sin. And God's desire is to purge you and refine you and take those things out of your life, those, th- those burdens that you cannot bear. I remember one time when I got before the Lord and I began to pray and ask God to reveal all of my secret sins. And I began to write them out. And I wrote page after page after page I felt this tremendous weight on my shoulders realizing that I had so much sin in my life. But I remember praying over everyone, crossing them out. And then when I got through with that very last one and I crumbled up the paper and I burned it, this weight came off of my shoulders that I was never intended to carry and I was freer than I had ever been. The Holy Spirit wants to free you from the sin that's holding you down. And then he wants to empower you. Can I tell you, you can be one of the fastest runners in the world. But if you are weighed down, you can lose the race. I did this with a kid one time. I was at Randleman Middle School. We used to do a thing called Youth for Christ. We had about 300 students every Friday in there that we got to teach the Word of God to. We didn't give it 15 minutes, but that was enough. And I remember I had a, one of the little boys in there. He was fast as lightning. I mean, he could smoke me without a doubt. But I took a backpack, and I put about 50 pounds in it. And I said, now we're going to race. He still almost beat me. I was like, you really didn't help me with my illustration very much. <laughs> but let me tell you something. If you're bared down with sin, it doesn't matter how much you try to be empowered. You're still weighed down, and you won't have near the power you can have if you'd let him free you. Lastly, we see the spectacle. Look at verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? In verse 8, he says, And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Can I just explain a little bit about tongues for a moment? Because you need to understand this. Could you imagine if all of a sudden Peter began to speak in the tongue of the Mesopotamians and Philip decided he would speak in the tongue of the Medes and God would fill another one that they speak and Matthew speaks with the tongue of Libya. Could you imagine if all the different disciples were speaking all kinds of different languages? I need you to understand something. 
What happened was when the disciples got filled, they still spoke Aramaic. But God translated, the God of all the languages translated midair so that when it hit their ears, they heard Libyan and Cappadocian and Asian and Phrygia and all those different languages. The God who confused language unconfused it. For what purpose? Listen. Because they spoke the wonderful works of God. The whole purpose of tongues, are you ready for this? Was to save the crowd. That was it. It was to save the crowd. It was so that no one could walk away saying, I didn't understand what he said. There's not one person that could say that. I'm here to tell you today, if you have open ears today, there shouldn't be not one person that leaves here without understanding what God has done. If you've unplugged your ears, if you've asked God to undeafen your ears so that you could hear the truth, you should not leave here saying, I didn't understand it. The truth of the matter is, is when these men preached, when Peter, when Peter stood up there and preached, I want, to know, I want you to understand, they still heard their own language. One man preached, but everybody heard their own language. The message went out. It went out to proclaim the wonderful works of God so that the crowd might get saved. Can you imagine, can you imagine the astonishment that came over these people? Well, we've already seen it. But look at what happens in verses 12 and 13. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they're full of new wine. I want you to understand there's three things that happened on the day of Pentecost. There was amazement. Those that were amazed were probably the very ones that got saved. They saw what God was doing and they wanted something to do with it. They wanted to hear what God was going to speak and they listened with open ears. They were amazed. Because could you imagine standing there and it's these Galileans. Understand they are uneducated and untrained. They may have known Galilean and they may have known Hebrew or Aramaic and Hebrew. That may have been all that they knew. And here's the thing. When they declare that they're Galileans, they're talking about their ignorance. Not only are they talking about their ignorance, but they're talking about the accent. You know what I'm talking about. You ever been somewhere and somebody goes, I know you from the south. Yes, I am. Right? I mean, you think about it. They shouldn't have done this. There should have been nothing there. These men were fishermen. But they were fishing for men. There was amazement. There was perplexity. What do you mean perplexity? They, I don't get it. There were people that were just like that. I don't get it. They were perplexed. What's going on? What's, what's happened? We don't get it. I'm going to hear you tell you, I'd rather you be perplexed than fall into the last category where you just stand back and go, I don't get it. What's going on? But the last group, they were the critics. Others mocking said they're full of new wine. Could you imagine this is early in the morning? Who gets drunk that early? An alcoholic. Because they'll sing the song, it's five o'clock somewhere. These guys are full of new wine. That's, that's the only way we can explain it. We've got to be able to explain it away. 
Can I tell you something? When the Spirit of God moves, there are going to be people and critics on the outside that want to explain it away. Oh, you can't believe what's going on there. You don't know what God, that's not God. That's just nothing but a show. That ain't nothing but a bunch of goofballs that get in there and sing and praise the Lord and read the Word. And they're just, they're charismatic and they're crazy. More power to you. The truth of the matter is, if they're criticizing us, it must mean we're doing something right. These people were perplexed. They were criticizing. They were amazed. And God was doing something powerful. And the thing is, is God wants to do something powerful here too. God still wants to move today too. He wants to do something in your life. My question for you this morning, does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Has he changed you? I'm telling you, for far too long, we have people that are claiming to be Christian, but there's never a change. They still do business like they did before they were saved. They still talk like they did before they were saved. They still live like they did before they were saved. If there's no change, please understand if there's no fruit, if there's no difference, if there's no proof, if there's nothing within you that says, I am saved, then you need to get saved. You may say, well, save from what? Save from your sins. Save from your destination. Save from Satan and his demise that he wants to bring you down with him. Save from hellfire and judgment. Save so that you might live eternally with God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit. Saved so that you might no longer be living in your sins. You might be transformed and changed. Saved so that you have an eternal residence in heaven with God Almighty. Saved so that you never look the same and the Holy Spirit fills you and dwells within you. Saved so that life is no longer the same. But is there proof he's dwelling in you? I'm here to tell you for far too long there are too many dead Christians that are putting off a putrid odor that are scaring away people from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what it smells like. Have you ever been around somebody that's died? If you've been around it for any time, if, if you don't, I can send you to a funeral home. They'll let you in. The smell can be putrid at times. You ever went into a crime scene where there had been a body laying there for four or five days? The smell is putrid. Let me tell you something. The Bible says we put off an aroma. We have the aroma of life, or we can put off the aroma of death. Is there proof that the aroma of life is coming off of you? Is there proof that you're alive, that you're changed, that you're different? If not, I pray today. You'll be different. You see, the Holy Spirit came to dwell among us. And I'm here to tell you, when he comes, he changes things up. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let today be the day. Stop holding on. Stop wasting time. Our staff, our deacons are going to be down front. They'd love to share with you. And and if there's not enough of them, there's more that will be down here to share with you. There's no time like the present. There's no time to waste. There's no time to keep it held in. The thing is, is God wants to change your life. But I'm here to tell you, Christians, God's got to begin to change us too. 
There's a lot of us that have things that the Spirit needs to blow away. The thing is, is we don't need to hold on to it any longer. We can come right here. Do we realize the altar is a beautiful place to come? It's a place where forgiveness is found. It's a place where restoration can be made. It's a place where lives can be changed. Will you come? You see, God wants to do something this morning. Will you hold back? Will you grieve? Will you quench the Holy Spirit? Or will you come? Let's pray. Father.